Hello, I'm Jason Solomons and welcome to another edition of Seen Any Good Films Lately. This is the podcast giving you loads of fresh new film recommendations so you'll know what to watch, what to look out for and who's watching what. Just remember seeing the film, the ape scene in the beginning. The soundtrack was amazing. In our big interview, supported by our new partners at Strike, jazz luminary Branford Marsalis talks us through writing the new score for awards favourite Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, starring Viola Davis and Chadwick Boseman. Branford also recalls his work with Spike Lee on Mo Better Blues, and we find out some of his favourite films, and film music, of course. I'll also be telling you if I've seen any good films lately. Well, you know me, I do like a sports doc, and particularly a footy documentary, and I've seen a good one. It's called, quite simply, Pele. It's coming to Netflix on February the 22nd, and it focuses, of course, on the great Brazilian striker and his life between 1958 and 1970. So it's a biopic of sorts... But it's really about when he burst into the global consciousness, scoring those goals at Sweden in 1958 at the age of 17, and his life then as the world's biggest football star, all the way up to Mexico 70. And his country's cultural flourishing and consequent political turmoil churn away in the background. I loved it. And I spoke to its directors, Ben Nicholas and David Trihorn, about their portrait of a man everyone thinks they know. Maior estádio do mundo, quer o maior jogador do mundo. O estádio quer Pelé. Now we know why they call this man the king. I asked David Trihorn how they got a new angle on such a famous figure. We, we always have to remember that even the most modern stuff we're talking about in the film was 50 years ago. Some of the stuff is 75 years ago. And to a guy who's had a microphone pushed in his face every time he leaves the house since he was 17 years old. <laughs> so we knew, uh, you know, Pele is someone who's kind of created this Pele persona for himself. And we knew there would be a certain amount of stock answers that he's built up over the years to try and get himself out of these questions or, or whatever. So part of our job was... Uh, a, sitting down with him and explaining that we were trying to do something different here. But within the interview process, you, you, you come up against those answers and it's a way of just keeping going and trying to work out a way to go deeper and, uh, and, and bring something new to the table. And Ben Nicholas told me about how he set Pelé in the political and historical context that came to make one man embody the soul of a nation. Yeah, obviously it's an accusation labelled it in that he's yeah. often it's this slightly apolitical figure. And, and it's sort of reminding the viewer that, you know, when the dictatorship came in in Brazil in 64, he was just 23. Uh, and, and, you know, from a relatively sort of poor, uneducated background. So he didn't really feel that equipped, I think, to, to deal with it. But I, I think in terms, again, going back to the sort of structure that we set out in the film, it was really interesting, sort of that 58 to 70 book ended by the first and last World Cup. The late 50s, early 60s in Brazil is this incredible kind of boom in the arts and cinema and music and in the economy. And then by 64, sort of half, uh, halfway point, we then have the dictatorship come in. And, and, and sort of every time Brazil seems to be on the up, Pele's on the up, and when Brazil is slightly on its knees, 
Pele's on his knees until the end when you feel sort of Pele takes on all the problems onto his shoulders and, and takes it on for himself. Now, Ben and David also had some great recommendations for us that seen any good films lately for Brazilian movies to get you in the mood for Pele. Well, I, I was like I was like a lot of other people kind of st- starting out fresh at the beginning of this project. So something like Central Station. Oh, Walter uh, Salas. And then, and then Walter Salas. And, and uh, obviously uh, we, were, we were lucky Central Station is the one about the, the boy out who does the writing for people outside because he can write yeah. and, and, and people right, ask Right, letters. Yeah. God, it's yeah, great, taking, taking great narrative the, device that is, isn't it? Taken <laughs> in by the kind of grumpy lady at the, at the station, and uh, obviously they kind of uh, have this amazing journey together. But that kind of that was um, uh, Pinto. Obviously, was involved in the music for that, and we also um, one of our edit advice, edit, edit consultant, Felipe Lacerda, was the editor on that. So, uh, so you uh, had to watch that one. <laughs> Yeah. He also did um, Bus 174, which is another phenomenal um, Brazilian doc. That's uh, the documentary about this, the kidnap on the, the, the hijack of this bus and like, they just sort of sat there in the middle of the street, didn't it? And yeah. For, for, was it a days? And then people just, was it a few days or was it longer yeah. than that? Yeah, it's an incredible documentary. Pele, it's back of the net stuff. You can hear more from the boys about Brazil and about Pele with some great music on my Totally Wired radio show next week. Our main interview on Seen Any Good Films Lately is supported by our partners at Strike. That's S-T-R-Y-Y-K, the distilled non-alcoholic drinks that have all the spirit, none of the alcohol. They're not gin, not rum, not vodka, mixed perfectly. And to get in the spirit for my Branford Marsalis chat coming up, I thought I'd summon up that speakeasy vibe of 20s Chicago blues clubs by mixing a gin ricky that prohibition classic cocktail using strikes not gin, lime and soda over ice, touch of honey for sweetness recommends some of the best cocktail makers. To order your strike essentials, go to strike.com, that's S-T-R-Y-Y-K.com, enter the code Jason40, that's Jason, J-A-S-O-N, 40, the digits 40, to get 40% off for all new lovely Seen Any Good Films Lately listeners. Cheers, Strike. Branford Marsalis is jazz royalty, with his brother Winton, the trumpet player and band leader, carrying the torch of the music into a new era. But very much with an eye on the past, Branford has now composed the score to Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, an entertaining yet powerful adaptation of August Wilson's stage play, committed to film for the very first time and crowned with performances from Viola Davis and the late Chadwick Boseman. Both performances getting a lot of buzz and are at the forefront of awards conversations this year. The action takes place over a hot Chicago afternoon as Ma Rainey goes into the recording studio to lay down a new hit single. Her band rehearsed downstairs, although new horn player Levy has ideas about how he wants it to sound. Much to the wrath of Ma Rainey, who wants it all her own way. Where's the uh, horn player? You rehearse like everybody else. I'm gonna get me a band and make me some records. I know how to play real music, not this jug band shit. You call that playing music? Yeah, I know what I'm doing. Go on and fire me, I don't care. When I got there, they began to say. That's to get the people's attention. That's when you and Slow Drag come in with the rhythm part. Me and Cutler play on the break.
Levy, the sooner you understand it, and what you say is what my say to count. <laughs> we'll be ready to go in 15 minutes. We'll be ready to go when Madam says we're ready to go, and that's the way it go around here. Now, Branford was tasked with capturing the sound of 20s blues and writing themes for these characters, and I was thrilled to get him on this show. I'm a big fan, and I've seen him in concert several times, and his work on Mo' Better Blues for Spike Lee is one of my all-time favourite film soundtracks. So it was with great excitement that I welcomed Branford Marsalis onto Seen Any Good Films lately, and I began, of course, by congratulating him on the score for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Congratulations on the score. I was listening to it this morning. I was running around the the frozen park here in London listening to some down-home Chicago blues had me transported Uh, I've been loving the score congratulations on it what was it like to 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 conjure up this world this August Wilson inflected world of the Chicago blues of the 20s fortunately I'd been listening to a 20s style music prior to the project so I'd already had a base template uh, in my mind and then it was just a matter of doing a really deep dive on a very large variety of 20 sounds to start to develop sort of a, a technical understanding of how to approach the music and after that get to work how different is you know playing in a blues band to playing in your quartet or laying stuff down for Spike Lee for example how, how different is this sound what this is like in composition in terms of instrumentation it all came from there so you know you owe it a great debt you wouldn't be there without the blues so how did you uh, right. how did you pay that homage the whole idea that that traditional jazz is based on the dance beat and in our group we've kind of gone back to the idea that modern dance modern jazz should also be based on the dance beat so in feel it's not very different than what we do in harmonic approach it's very very different because uh the modern tonalities were not widely used and weren't very popular in the 20s as they started to become in the 50s and the 60s and later on so uh the 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 music has a, a a bit of a punch that modern music doesn't have because while the pulse is still on the second beat and the fourth beat the physical sound is on the first beat and the third beat whereas now everything is tends towards being on those two backbeats you have the implied pulse of the backbeat but the the dominance of the front beat i want to see the dance called the black bottle i want to learn that Call your big black bottom It puts you in a trance Early one morning About break of day Grandpa told grandma I heard him say Get on up and show your old man Your black bottom I want to Listen, one of the there's a, there's a couple of songs, a couple of tracks that are written for Levy, the, the part of Levy. I don't know if you knew that part, if you knew Chadwick Boseman would be playing it, and what was it like to be making themes for Chadwick's performance? I had to write the music for Chadwick long before I actually met Chadwick, because uh, in music movies, the actors have to have the music before they film. So it was more imagining trumpet players in the style or in that time and writing something that would have been written in that time when i finally got a chance to meet chadwick and talk to him it was it was uh, i was impressed with how serious he was about really trying to have the physical presence of an actual cornet player but there was no way i could know that at the time that i was writing the music for the film i think he's one of those great 
parts for an african-american performer and with this performance he he sort of laid down this is this is the track you know this is this is how levy is you know and uh much of that comes with the music the style that he's got with his corner in his hand H- how much of how much of that that story that you know the recording studio them downstairs that the the, the the camaraderie between the band the rivalry the the recording how much of it do you experience today does it does it, does it like oh my god you know they've been doing this has been happening since the 20s you know i feel like i'm on the shoulders of these giants we, we still doing this today did you feel some sort of recognition there seeing that seeing it as a film and maybe perhaps you saw it as a play before it's it, it's different for for us because uh i think the realities are different whenever you have a singer a front person in a band that is essentially a, a, a backing band the relationships we can all have a common enemy who's the singer <laughs> the person in front and it, it can start all of these dynamics. But for me, with my group, we're more like a string quartet. You, it's really difficult to make the music work if you're consumed by those kind of rivalries and, and insecurities because we don't have a front person to take the attention away from us. Everyone's focused on us. And I'm happy to say that we don't have those things. Uh, but I've been in situations where they've existed. The man come in here, call you a boy, tell you to get up off your ass in rehearsal. You ain't had nothing to say except, yes, sir. <laughs> I can say yes, sir, to whoever I please. What you got to do with it? I know how to handle white folks. I've been handling them for 32 years. Now you gonna tell me how to do it? Just because I say yes, sir, don't mean I'm spooked up by him. I know what I'm doing. Let me handle it my way. Well, go on and handle it then. Tomito, you always messing with somebody. Always agitate somebody with that old philosophy bullshit you be talking. You stay out of my way about what I do and say. I'm my own person. Just let me alone. All right, all right, Levy, you right. I apologize. Ain't none of my business you spooked up by the white man. <laughs> all right, see, that's the shit I'm talking about. Y'all back up and leave Levy alone. Oh, come on, Levy. We was all just having fun. Toledo ain't said nothing about you. He ain't said about me. You just taking it all wrong. <laughs> ain't meant nothing by it, Levy. Levy got to be Levy. You don't need nobody messing with him about the white man. I want to take you back to, to sort of a bit of film. You know, you've been dabbling with the film world for so long now, Branford. And, you know, been, I've been listening to you, uh, Mo Better Blues soundtrack for years and years and years. And uh, the stuff you did there with uh, with Guru and uh, with everyone, it was just, been, just just magnificent stuff. What, uh, what was the first film you ever saw? Do you remember at the cinema? Of course I do. It was Bambi. <laughs> I cried. I wanted to know why the mama had to die. My mother's said, be quiet, child, and watch the movie. <laughs> <laughs> so was this in New Orleans with your mom? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was me and Wenton. Mom, dad was traveling. He's on the road with uh, the great trumpeter, Al Hurt. I saw a lot of other movies, but the one that really stuck out in my mind was uh, I, I begged my mother, I think I was nine, to take me to uh, Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey. Oh, for a nine-year-old, this is some, t- some choice. Oh, I was hooked. 
I didn't know what the hell was going on. But I think there's a multifaceted reality in film. In my mind, I mean, it was so vivid. I remember the, the name of the theater was the Translux Theater on Tulane Avenue. Mm-hmm. And it was a chain. There's still one in Los Angeles. with the, the, the you, I could see the logo of the theater. And I started in my mind saying, is this stuff really true? Why are they spinning in space? I'd never thought about the concept of gravity or the absence of it. The colors were so rich. I mean, I just remember seeing the film, the ape scene in the beginning, oh. the monolith, and the soundtrack was amazing. It's uh, the f- you hear re- this film too, surely for a musician yeah, like you, you and surrounded by music at home, this is well, sound and vision coming together. Well, at nine, I, I wasn't I wasn't really hip to, to, to Richard Strauss at nine. I just, I wasn't that cool. But just to, when now as an adult, as an old man, it's just the idea of using Richard Strauss and his non-related, uh, well, predecessor, Johann Strauss, use, using the Strauss folks on both sides, you know, one on earth, one in space. It was so stunning. And uh, I bought the book. Mm. I didn't understand it. I uh, I just became, I became a science fiction fan overnight. We had those movies like Invasion from Mars, mm-hmm. done in black and white with the sample. I'd watch them, but they didn't. I mean, I like that kind of stuff. I watched every sci-fi thing I could watch, but there was something about that movie, and it, it has to do with a certain kind of excellence that Kubrick represented. It was stunning. If there was a movie, I say, well, Branford, you can go and put your, your soundtrack on this movie. Or I say to you, Branford, we, we, you know, I'm taking you back in time and we've got loads of movies here in the 40s, 50s, 60s, whatever. Uh, pick a film that you would love to have done the soundtrack for. That's interesting. In the, in the 40s and 50s, it kind of had to be a real composer. Yeah. Back then, uh, me- meaning all the all of the scores were orchestral. Virtually all of the scores were orchestral in nature. We didn't have simply time code. So the conductor's looking at the screen and conducting the orchestra. I've seen films of that, which I find amazing. I don't know if I would really want to try to tackle that back in those days. That would, that, that's, that's, a, that's a tough one, but I would love to, to have had the, 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 the challenge. I would love to have tried to do something like that. But I, would you have I, done I, a I, film I, noir? Would you have kind of been there, given that given Moody Sacks to a film noir? Well, you know, given as, as much as I like writing for... Uh, for string orchestra, and I do like it a lot. It's not my strong suit, so I think something like uh, the music Miles Davis did for that French film, which I never can remember the name of, L'Escalier. L'Ascenseur à l'Echafaud, The Lift to the Scaffold. Oh, that's what it is. Okay, Mm -hmm. thank you. Yeah, that would be great. I would have done some really cool stuff. Oh, and you know he composed that. They just, uh, Louis Mal just said, right, here it is. And he and Miles did it, kind of did it live over a couple of nights. Oh, you can tell. Yeah. You can tell. He's like, right, she's walking down he's the Champs Elysees. He's looking at him playing what he's seeing. Yeah. And that's how they did it. There's, there's footage of him doing it. Because I think he was with Juliette Greco at the time and he was too busy, you know, spreading the love, right. <laughs> being Miles. Yeah, well, can you, can you blame him? Yeah. <laughs> no, I wouldn't.
I mean, it surprises me, you know, when, when you came out with this score, I thought, oh, great, Branford, it sounds great. And I, and I thought, oh, he must have done thousands more movie scores over the, over the period. And actually, you're very, you're very select, or what is it? They don't come to you very often? Well, what is it? with? They don't come to me very often, <laughs> which is, look, I mean, to be fair, they're at any given time hundreds of people who do this all the time. They do this for a living, and they say, man, we need a film score. They don't say, oh, call Eka. Oh, he's going to be in Europe for the next six weeks, but he has five days here, and two days there and there's a lot of people it's not like every movie i go to i say oh my god this is the worst score i've ever heard i mean these people are really good and they do it all the time and there's something to be said about the certain kind of skill that comes through repetition it would be nice if if they called me more but uh i don't live in la mm-hmm. the movies are all done in la except it's did, just it, one of those things even when you work with spike lee on on moment blues but that was that seemed like that was a, a one almost a one-off i know he works with terence blanchard all, all the time still well no well he spike asked me to to write for his films and i said uh i just i could see the disaster because when we were doing more better blues this is before digital technology we're on the road in europe i'm writing the music i have it the visualization in my head of what the band should be and all of it but spike can't have any of that and he keeps sending me because at least we had email back then he would send me emails saying you know i need some music i'm like bro i'm in ukraine i mean (laughs) you want me to go to a studio and how am i going to get it to you once i do it in the studio i mean there's no and he's like i need the music and he basically didn't hear the music until when we're at the studio getting ready to make the music for them. I mean, and he was really nervous and really tense. And he said, you know, hey, man, how'd you like to score? He was using his dad to score the films. He said, how'd you like to score my films? I said, it would be a disaster because of my schedule. But Terrence Blanchard, who's my boy, lives in Brooklyn. He's right here. And he does this. And you should consider him. And he called Terrence. It's great. I mean, I'm, you know, it worked out great. Oh, so but... you introduced them and they and they got together and now they're... Well, he knew Terrence. No, sure. he knew Terrence. It's just he didn't know that Terrence... Terrence is a trumpet player. Mm. Spike didn't know that Terrence was also a piano player. Spike did not know that he had studied orchestration. He didn't know. And I said, no, I mean, Terrence, Terrence can hook it up. And uh, Terrence took it and ran with it. And it's great. And, and it's one of those things where he, he's, he, he's lucky to have a director that supports him and favors him that lived three blocks from where he lived. <laughs> yeah. So it was possible. It, it's not like if, if, I'm saying with absolute confidence that if Spike had been living in L.A., he wouldn't have called me and said, move to L.A. or or, who should I hire? I mean, I think it was just in in the course of your life, things occur and you're in in, in providence occurs and you're in the area of things and it allows other things to happen. Of course. Well, it doesn't make them happen. It allows for them to happen. You've done some acting in the past as well. Uh, I know. So, you know, we could have had seen, seen more Branford on screen. If there was oh, a, God, no, if, yeah. there, if there was a classic film with, that you wanted to be in, you know, if say this acting has happened for you and that's what you were doing. Is there a film that you would have, I would have loved that part. I would have loved to have been in that film with those guys. For me, those are always comedies. I would never look at a dramatic role because I went to a, an, an arts high school and I went to school. I went to school with Wendell Pierce. Oh, I love Wendell Pierce. So do I. And I, I watch what they do and I'm in awe of what they do. And I understand when, when I did those small roles, uh, some people came up and said, you know, you can really, you really have the thing to do this. And I called my dad and said, man, this could be a, a, an actor. He says, well, you better be ready to quit music because this is a full-time thing. Even when you're not working, you got to be working just like music. And when he said that, I was like, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, so 
uh, I would have I would have had to pick up some serious act, acting chops. So what I would have done was a ton of the, theatrical work, a lot of theater actually. I would see myself more learning how to do the craft. And I don't know, man. I never really looked at a movie and thought that I should be in it. It's oh. just, I've, I've never I've never done it. Well, who's your, who's up. your favorite but, actor then? Who's your who's your who's the guy that you go? I mean, uh, well, there, there's there's a there's a few of them, but there's a lot of them. It's that way. Brando, particularly before he became the caricature. Uh, I really, really dug him. Uh, De, Niro, De Niro, before he rested on his caricature. Mm-hmm. Was so we're talking like Streetcar Named Desire era Brando, and we're talking Taxi right. Driver style De Niro. Ta- taxi Driver, Godfather, you know. And I, I mean, I like the other stuff. I like, I even like that those Fokker movies. I mean, he's, he's he has a dry wit and he's brilliant. But you see some of those movies. You see a movie like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and you 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 can't even imagine if you're thinking about it that way. How does a human being stretch his imagination to the degree that he can literally or she can literally become another person convincingly? Whereas comedy is the thing that make them work is that you, the characters possess a lot of our characteristics. Mm-hmm. We can relate. They're relatable because they're stories we know. We sit that we laugh out of familiarity. Go on. I, 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 I need to. I need a laugh, Branford. I need to watch a, a comedy movie. Tell me, you know, you've seen any good films lately? What's the comic movie you put on to just kind of cheer yourself up every time? I don't really have a go-to in anything, but I just saw something that I didn't. I avoided for for months on Apple TV. It's this uh, British slash American show, Ted Lasso. Oh yeah, about the soccer coach. Yeah. Well, no, about a coach. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but he he wasn't a soccer coach at all. Uh, which was the point of it, but the, uh, I've always been a fan of, of British comedies because of the writing, because of the dry wit. America's more of a slapstick place, and mm-hmm. I've always kind of been out of place as this, the dry witticism in a land full of, you know, direct, insulting comedy. But I find myself, I found myself surprisingly laughing a lot more than I thought I would, because I kept looking at it and saying, Jason Sudeikis, no, no, no. I mean, he was great in it, and the actors were were fabulous. And uh, ironically, I don't watch a lot of comedies. <laughs> I, 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 I watch, I'm incredibly boring. I watch a lot of documentaries. I watch a lot of uh, older. Old, I just try. I try to watch a lot of different things. But and I don't know why that is. I can't bring myself to consistently hang out and 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 watch comedies. But of course, my comedic. Go- I would love to have been there. You go. Thank you for making me rounded. Blazing Saddles. Oh. I would have loved to have been in Blazing Saddles. <laughs> but you, would you play the sheriff or you would flip it and you would play the Gene Wilder part? <laughs> I'd play the sheriff. Yeah. That was some but cool. I would have played it, would have played it much drier than uh-huh. Cleavon Little. Did. You just want to ride out and, and, and ride past the Basie band as they're playing. And they're one of the great jokes but of the time. That would be awesome. <laughs> I think all you? of it. I would, like to have a, I would like to have a confrontation with Mongo and have an interaction with a racist grandma yes. who likes me and hates me at the same time. Oh, by the way, I got a note this morning. From who? Well, I'm not sure. It was addressed to the deputy spade. <laughs> well, once I establish myself in this here town, Deputy Spade might turn out to be a groovy position. Yeah. Listen, Bart, I want you to do me a favor. I don't want you going out there this morning. You can't win these people over no matter what you do. They're just not going to accept you. 
I'm glad those uh, fingers ain't loaded. Whew. Just like old times. Branford, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Honestly, you've written a, a beautiful score uh, for Ma Rainey, and it's gonna 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 last as long as the Mo Better as well. That theme is uh, I use it so often <laughs> on my radio shows. Oh, I thank cool. you so much. I always use your Thanks, Mo Better Jason. theme to get I us mean... in. Uh, please come back to London. Please give us another concert. I just you know it, it would mean that the world is healed and we're all, all able to go and and blow some we, hot air. We look forward to it. Uh, as much as you can imagine. So good to see you. Uh, congratulations you well, on the score. And uh, yeah, see you soon, okay? Yes, my friend. Take care. Take care, Branford Marsalis. Cheers. Bradford Marsalis, Quartet and Terence Blanchard on the trumpet on Mo Better Blues, the theme tune to Spike Lee's great 1990 film. Wonderful stuff. And Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, with that score by Bramford, is on Netflix now. Well, there's a few things to round up, a few recommendations left. Firstly, I don't know if you've heard this, but as we were talking about Chadwick Boseman with Bramford just a bit earlier, Black Panther 2 is in the making. I read an interview with its costume designer, Ruth E. Carter, who got an Oscar for doing the first film, and she revealed that she's now working on the sequel. So, yes, it's underway. Uh, I had the pleasure of talking to Ruth for My Name is Dolomite, Eddie Murphy's uh, black exploitation comedy sort of thing from uh, earlier last year. Uh, and she's working with Eddie again on the coming very soon sequel, Coming to America. But she's also starting on Black Panther 2. And all we know is that T'Challa, sadly who was played by Chadwick Boseman, won't be back. But they're not recasting him in any way. So it'll probably start maybe at his funeral, at the death of T'Challa or something like that. Michael B. Jordan should be back. Letitia Wright, Daniel Kaluuya, they've all said yes, they'll be on board for it. And Ryan Coogler, the director, will be back at the helm. So they're currently looking to release Black Panther 2 in July 2022, which does seem a long way off. Mind you, next week seems a long way off at the moment. But I can tell you, I'm excited about it already. Hearing Bramford Marsalis there, I must try and get with this Ted Lasso. People keep recommending it to me and I just haven't seen it yet. It's on Apple TV, so I don't quite know how to get that. But Ted Lasso, yeah, write that down. In other news, I finished Call My Agent on Netflix, which I enjoyed thoroughly. The French drama, soap opera, comedy about life in a film agent's office. I really enjoyed the episode in this last season with Sigourney Weaver. That felt to me like the show at its best, back to its best, with all the agents running around trying to appease a big celeb and get the movie made. It's even got a big dance number in it, which made me laugh. It was silly and giddy and funny, which is just how you want Call My Agent. The final episode was pretty good too. Brought things to a close nicely, although you could tell that the season really has been affected by COVID and 
and trying to get the production done under the difficult circumstances and in a rush before the next lockdown. But it's always good to see Jean Renault and to see an unfaithful Frenchman being struck on the head by a flying César hurled at him by a woman scorned. Talking of things French, it was sad to note the passing of prolific screenwriter Jean-Claude Carrière at the age of 89. It just gives me a chance though to recommend catching up with some of the marvellous films he wrote and collaborated on during a career that began in the late 1950s with Jacques Tati and went all the way into well, recent times. So, I recommend Belle de Jour with Catherine Deneuve as a housewife turned sex worker. That's a chilly must from 1967. Uh, and his other collaborations with that director, Louis Buñuel. Uh, uh, well, I love the discreet charm of the bourgeoisie with one of the most iconic and surreal film posters of all time. There are two Gérard Depardieu films that Carrière wrote. Uh, the Return of Martin Guerre, about a peasant who returns from war but might not be who he claims to be. It was remade as a Shummersby with Jodie Foster and Richard Gere, but nowhere near uh, as well. And there's the wonderful Cyrano uh, about um, Cyrano de Bergerac, one of the great Depardieu performances. A brilliant script of poetry and comedy and romance. I also loved 1989's The Unbearable Lightness of Being with Juliette Binoche and Lena Olin toying with Daniel Day-Lewis. And there's the underrated strangeness of Jonathan Glazer's 2004 film Birth with a terrific Nicole Kidman performance uh, as she is a woman who believes that her husband may have been reincarnated as a rather spooky 10-year-old boy. That's a very unsettling film. So that's plenty to be getting on with there. Lots of recommendations in the show this week. If I've got to pick my favourites out of the many excellent works mentioned, here are Jason's Three to See. Cyrano with Gerard Depardieu. Central Station by Walter Salis and Ma Rainey's Black Bottom with music by Branford Marsalis. Well, that should keep you busy. And that brings us to a close. Thanks to my guest, Branford Marsalis. Thanks to our partners at Strike, S-T-R-Y-Y-K, the distilled drinks with all the spirit, none of the alcohol. If you want to do some prep for next week, then catch Zappa, the new documentary about Frank Zappa, now on Altitude.film. It's directed by my guest on the next show, Alex Winter. Alex Winter? Mm, yes, he's Bill from Bill and Ted. And he'll be taking us through that musical mind of Frank Zappa. And of course, telling us if he's seen any good films lately. See you then. Mm-hmm.